standing in a cornfield. And John said, What's that over there? It looks like a hut on a chicken leg. I think I think I see a ladder. It goes up. It's it's lit inside that small little room. Let's go, guys. It's the only option. We've got to go up. Anything's better than the cornfield of infinitude. And as we climbed inside, we saw a cauldron with a fire burning beneath it, lighting the entire room, yet casting shadows everywhere. And suddenly, <laughs> the witch reappeared. She had been gone for a while, but now she's back, and she's showing us our greatest fears. Five, four, three, two. Welcome back, everybody, to Cromtober. I'm Josh. I'm John. And I'm Luke. And we are going to discuss some fears tonight, as we have been the last uh, two weeks in a row, out here on uh, the back porch of Cromcast Tower, beneath the stars, beneath an indifferent sky, full of whatever aliens there may be, <laughs> vast infinite vistas of cosmic uh untold mysteries and darkness in between and right? darkness in between the points of light and all of those things uh, i think uh summarize the the fears that we've uh put forward this cromtober but before we get into that we've got some drinks here um luke what are the the delicious meads that you've been making we've had uh an apple sizer that was that was concocted this summer, and we're we're enjoying now here in the the fall months. And then also there was a cherry mead that we had that was uh, I think a little bit more recent, but uh, I think it was good too. I think you Pretty liked good. the the cherry over the the, the apple cider, right? I, I think I did, but they're both awesome. I, I can't I can't pick my favorite. What did you think, John? What was your preference? I like the apple one better, but that's just because I like apples better than cherries. Mm-hmm. I think, uh, yeah. It was it was kind of appley, right? It was a good. It was dry though. It wasn't like it was super dry. sweet. Yeah, yeah. yeah both I, of I them were pretty that. dry. They were both both pretty dry. There was just a little hint of sweetness in both of them. But the apple one, like it had sat around long enough that the apple was coming back, which yeah. is a, which is a hard thing with like making ciders and sizers to have yeah, them but, like sit around long enough for that to happen. I have one bottle of of sizer, well, of apple wine. From last fall, so it's it's been in the bottle for a year. So I'm pretty Dude, psyched to to try that out. That's awesome. Yeah, cool. So we'll we'll save it for a special Chromecast. And, and here uh, we got some got some some double deuce boys in the chamber. At the this point, Josh brought over some of the some of the hams because we're still in a what's the month that we're in here, guys? Chromtober. Oh, it's Chromtober well, or or Augtober. 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 <laughs> Because today was the hottest day in October in Lexington history, right? Yeah. Uh, so we have some ham. So let's let's crack those bad let's go boys. Go ahead and crack open. Yeah, some super summery beers. We're oh, here yeah. on here, here on the back porch. Uh, it's I don't know. I mean, it's a little bit comfortable now. It's I'm still sweaty a little bit. It's a little balmy, but not bad. Yeah. 
It's like, like the heat coming off the ground, right? Like it's probably like in the seventies outside, but mm-hmm. it's a shame that it's not a little bit cooler. It could also be the full rack of ribs we all ate before we got started. The meat sweats and the meat sweats. The meat sweats, yeah, nice. Yeah. So that's what we're drinking. We got hammies. Uh, we've had some mead. Uh, I needed all that so I could open up tonight because the, <laughs> the fear I have is, is uh, pretty fearsome. Uh, before we get into that, though, let's talk about one thing. And since it's clockwise from oh. the moderator. It's coming to this guy. You're up. So uh, my one thing is going to be uh, Carl Edward Wagner's book Night Winds, which I've been chipping away at periodically over the past year. But over the, I guess last night, I read the, the story Dark Muse, and it just really, really clicked. It really worked. It's a pretty spooky story. I love Kane. I love Carl Edward Wagner. I, that story specifically, I think, is my favorite Kane story that I've read so far, because it seems to establish a lot of like overarching, uh, not necessarily Kane mythology, but like Kane uh, story and books. I don't know. It's 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 a great long form short story and. Kane's Kane's the bomb. It's it's a it's a spooky kind of time, and I like the idea of a of an artist like plumbing the depths of the unknown and getting himself scared, but still diving deeper. That's kind of the, the the premise of that story. That sounds cool. I haven't read that. I haven't read anything by that guy. Yeah, we need to rectify that because I haven't read very much by him. Rusty knows him. Knew him, knew him yeah. 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 Check out, you can get a, there's a couple different live streams of sticks uh, that you can find on YouTube and where, you know, those kinds of places. Uh, you know, that's one of his most recognizable, like, mythos type stories. Uh, but there's a lot of spooky Carl Edward Wagner that's not just his horror material. I mean, pretty much any of the Kane stuff fits the bill. And we'll circle around to Kane eventually. But uh, seek out, seek out some of that stuff. Maybe look up some uh, Manly Wade Wellman, his uh, his his, you know, Silver John, his his uh, you know, yeah, like the the precursor. Like I, I don't know, if precursor is the right word, but Wagner was a protege of, of of Wellman. But like, check out some Silver John. Check out some Sticks. Look up some like mountainy, folky horror. There's a lot of stuff to get into. Uh, that's easily accessible over the next couple of weeks, over this month, and then even into November. Sounds cool, dude. What about you, John? I have been reading through. I found this run of comics at the at the Half Price Books. They were like these big collections by Paradox Press a few years ago. Actually, several dozen a dozen or more years ago, uh, that were called the Big Book of Blank. And so there's like the Big Book of Hoaxes. There's the Big Book of little criminals there's the big book of martyrs of grim and they had a whole bunch of them a whole stack of them at half price i ended up buying a big chunk of them and i've been reading through one called the unexplained here in the spooky month nice and it's written by doug munch minch oh 
of yeah. Moon Knight fame? Uh-huh, How do you uh-huh, pronounce uh-huh. it? Do you... So I say Monch, but okay, I don't Monch. know necessarily. Right, that's, that's what I'm going to go. If with. That's the right way. So yeah, he's like a noir writer. But I re- like whenever I started reading comics, like I hopped on Moon Knight and yeah. I hopped on Moon Knight number one, like in 06 or 07. Uh-huh. Like that was his joint. Yeah. And he was like, the, I think that may have been like his first efforts. I think he created. Or isn't he one of the creators of Moon Knight? Oh wait, no, I'm I'm getting I'm getting sidetracked. No, he I'm sorry. Rewind. So so Monch did did create Moon Knight. Okay. I'm thinking of somebody else. I'm gonna Google that while we're talking. Here. Okay. Yeah. Uh but he's the writer and each chapter and chapter's kinda generous, it's like five or seven pages of art is done by a different artist and they get all kinds of different folks. Um and some of the ones that I've read through, there's like Marie Severin did some art. Um, there was one with Frank Quitely, who mm. he did a couple chapters oh, cool. in different books. Then I can't remember all the artists, but it's it's a, a mixed bag, and it's lots of interesting things to see. The unexplained one so far, it's framed as if Charles Fort is narrating it to you. Oh, nice! Yeah, so it's all very Fortean, and he is showing like in the one he's talking about crystal skulls, and another one he's talking about the Easter Island heads and things like that. Mm-hmm. So. It's stuff that I enjoy perusing through, and it's a good read when I'm sitting and eating my cereal at the morning. That's what I've been using it for lately. Um, Some of the other ones, I read through the hoax one, and I did the big book of Conspiracies. That was also by Moinch. Is that how he said it? Oh, yeah, yeah. Moinch. And he wrote this one about conspiracies that was very interesting. So if you're interested in anything like, like a big breadth of stuff, the big books series is good. They're from like 94 to 2000, I think. So cool. perhaps a little dated, but still kind of interesting. But the unexplained one I've liked a lot so far. Nice. So the correction is Charlie Houston wrote oh, okay. like Moon Knight in 06. But he 07. is a big noir writer. Yeah, he was a, he was a noir writer. I was getting my wires crossed because like I, it was, I discovered Moon Knight starting at that number one, but I also started to try to buy some various back issues from the first 25 issues, which was... was Monch, and then like, uh, like what, like Bill Sienkiewicz has like some of the right. cool mm-hmm. covers, yeah, and like those are all the names that were getting mixed up in my head when I was okay. first picking up those, uh, some of those first run of, of of Moon Knights. I know Moon Knight is a favorite of yours. I, I love the Moonlight Man. So I was exact. I was excited that you get to talk about this. Yeah. <laughs> that that run of Moon Knight that you sort of started picking up was gritty in the same way that that daredevil was gritty back yeah. in that that time was, right and i remember didn't he cut taskmaster's face off yep he sure did and, yeah. and either killed him or started hallucinating him yeah from and, the guilt of doing it yeah and and it's uh it's it's a mix of those things and of course it's a little bit hard to tell but like uh bushman who's his like his arch nemesis is yeah. there like talking to him too uh faceless like he he takes bushman's face but then he's fighting taskmaster okay. and there's another guy who's like the is it the tiktok man i can't remember but a guy that's like uh, uh, an arch villain that's into clocks like that's the okay. other you know it's one of those things and so that that run that charlie houston did was a lot of a return to the classic moon knight villains that had been established okay and it's it's solid and it's messed up but it was also a really good sort of introduction to the older, the older material too. Cause it kind of prompted me to, 
like seek cool. out yeah. a variety of, of back issues to yeah. kind of get the, the bigger story. Cool. We call that the one thing double play. <laughs> how about you fearless leader well last time i sort of was telling you guys about the hypnogoria podcast about pennywise the clown from mm-hmm. it and that made me interested in reading some stephen king and those of you who are in the know know that king's novels are, are pretty lengthy for the most part you know the especially the the later like the the further on you get, the longer they seem to go. Mm-hmm. But he has a number of short story collections, um, of which Night Shift is my favorite, uh, which I think is the first one, right? Yeah, right. Um, but a few Christmases ago, I was gifted The Bazaar of Bad Dreams, which I think is his latest short story collection. And that may not be true anymore, but it's one of the more recent ones. And so I just flipped through and started reading through the bizarre of bad dreams. Um, and just sort of thinking about Stephen King as, uh, not just a horror writer, but someone who is obviously influenced by pulp writers. Right. Um, and that influence I think can, can most be felt in night shift. And it got me thinking about Stephen King as a potential Chromecast season at some point. Mm. Um, I think it would be fun to pick a handful of, of short stories and, and sort of dissect those or or uh, make it part of a larger horror uh, season. So No, let's do the Road to Maine. Road to Maine? Yeah. I think yeah. that would be cool. <laughs> Road to Dairy? I think you could pick a handful of short stories, a handful of, like, larger stories. And, I mean, the cool thing about King, too, is, of course, he has, like, his nonfiction materials that he's written, like yeah. Dance Macabre and on writing. So... <clears throat> there could be bits and pieces from all of that that we get pulled in, and which would be neat. The Gunslinger was originally published in a serialized form, mm-hmm. right? Yep. Um, I'm not sure of the publication. It was in FNSF. So it was, was it? in it, yeah, it was in uh, fantasy and science science fiction. Okay. Uh, Somebody needs their life saved. Some, e- either that or uh, the the helicopter's checking out traffic. Probably it's probably. A little you think that, that was Officer Don? Probably Officer Don. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, it was published in the. It was fantasy. It was it was published fiction. yeah, like in the magazine of fantasy and science fiction. I don't know how and when, but that I do know that that's where it first appeared. Yeah. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean that would be that would be a cool sister to a sister to a sister season to get it like uh, periodical serialized genre fiction like a couple decades even further like beyond what we're talking about Mm -hmm. you know over the the more recent Chromecast seasons by someone who wears his Lovecraftian influence on his sleeve right and a lot of his uh like big-eyed monsters and 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 bims and bims and uh, bims, whatever the the acronyms are. Like like he hit on a lot of the the standard like fifties horror and science fictional tropes. And, yeah. yeah. So anyway, uh, I guess to boil it down, Stephen King. Cool is, man is my one thing. Nice. It's it's timeless. It's in uh in Americana in the. 
the 21st century. That's pretty timeless, dude. It's interesting that that pulps are, I think, a distinctly American form of literature that influenced comics, influenced uh, science fiction, influenced horror. Like, the the roots run deep. So... Um, I like I like chasing those um, those leads wherever they might go. All the different rabbit tunnels. Yeah, the, it's a, it's a warren. <laughs> <laughs> so that's three things that uh, you can check out this Cromtober to make your uh, life a little bit more spooky. We call it one thing. All right, so it's my turn. The wheel has spun to you. Yeah, that's right. So. In thinking about how to to bring us into this mindset, last night I wrote something. And before I read any of this or paraphrase it or whatever I'm going to do, um, something that you should know is that I remember a time when I wasn't afraid of the dark. And I remember being afraid of of the dark sort of in parallel to other things that were happening in my life and so when I was young my my parents were divorced and that change changed me mm-hmm. as as a as a person as a child um, and made me fear things that I didn't even know were things that you could be afraid of if that makes any sense yeah and so i was seven years old when this happened and so i'll read this thing that i wrote and we can spin out of out of this in his essay supernatural horror and literature hp lovecraft wrote the oldest and strongest emotion of mankind is fear and the oldest and strongest kind of fear is fear of the unknown what exemplifies the unknown more than the darkness beyond the edge of the firelight or outside the window of a well-lighted house on an October night, or beyond this candle that we're sitting beside in <laughs> Luke's backyard. Yes, you may well know what lies in your yard just outside your home, and you may be able to mentally account for everything there. So why be afraid once the veil of night is drawn and darkness settles in? This is not necessarily about a fear of the darkness, but a fear of what lies in the darkness. A fear of the contents of the unfathomable unfathomable depths, not those depths themselves. And tonight I would like to frame this discussion around two items. H.P. Lovecraft's story, The Outsider, and my experience reading an illustrated version of Dracula when I was young. Both stories share a common through line. The protagonist's understanding of the world is challenged when new knowledge is brought forth. The change that stems from this exposure of the darkness to the light is the crux of the horror in both stories, and the result is a fundamental change in the way the world is perceived by the protagonists. Perhaps, then, the darkness is a blessing. Shadows veil horrible truths that upend life as we know it, and threaten to undo the life that we have built. Perhaps the fear, then, is of discovery and the myriad potentialities of what might produce anxieties that sometimes prove nigh unconquerable. The darkness isn't the opposite of light, but the absence of light. And in that absence, we are safe from the knowledge of the monsters that might strike, if only they could see us. I think that could be the episode right there. That's it? Okay. That was pretty good. Well, you've been listening to the (laughs) podcast. So, 
in essence, what I'm trying to say is that I, even as a child, knew that I wasn't afraid of the dark. Okay. Right? I was afraid of what might be concealed by the dark. So when you mentioned that, you mentioned a story about Dracula. Yeah. Is there something that fed from that into the sphere that we're discussing? Well, I, I think I've talked about this maybe on the show before, but just in case. Um, when I was eight years old, I checked out an illustrated copy of Dracula from the elementary school library. And I was always an advanced reader. Um, this, this book, I don't remember if it contained language that would have been considered advanced at the at, at that age but right. maybe it did but what i do remember i don't remember the the art aside from this one page and it was a, a two-page spread and it's the portion of the story where um van helsing and the rest of the crew are visiting the the tomb of um is it elizabeth or, or uh Lucy. Lucy, yeah. Yep, um, and and so they, they go to Lucy's tomb, and uh, she's not there. And then you turn the page, and what you see is the, the heroes hiding behind some tombstones, and in the distance, walking toward you and walking toward the tomb, is Lucy, who's wearing the clo- clothes that she was buried in, and she's carrying a bundle that you know is a baby, and she's not looking at the baby, and she's not looking at the road, uh, the path through the cemetery, any of the gravestones, our our heroes who are hiding. No, she's looking at you. And and I just knew that she could see me. Okay. I have no idea why I thought this. But I just knew that, that this illustration was more than an illustration. And I just knew that she was looking at me. And... From that point on, for, for quite a while, there would be nights when I was convinced that she was at the foot of my bed looking at me. Wow. So, the fear that I had was more that if I turned on the light, she might actually be there. Mm-hmm. And so, I, I think about this type of fear in my life. Uh, and, and have been thinking about it over the last few weeks more in depth than I have in, in some time. And I, I think that even now, I'm uh, a lot of the anxiety that I feel is due to potentialities of, of, of maybe change that might happen because of something that you learn. Okay. A, a metaphorical light being shined upon the the darkness right which is interesting because i'm a scientist right right you would you would think that the opposite would be true that that finding these truths within um life would be one of the the driving forces within me and and i think that it isn't and i'm i'm not like I feel like the thing that I read earlier kind of makes it seem like I prefer ignorance or, or that I'm like defending ignorance. And I, I don't, right. That's, that's not the case. I don't read it as you're defending ignorance. I read it as 
you know the darkness like in this scenario you posited earlier where you thought that the ghost or the vampire of lucy is staring at you if you don't turn off or if you don't turn on the light you don't have to know like it's just an imaginary scenario but if you turned on the light you schrodinger's cat her yeah into existence she might what if she is there right and then then what happens right so it's not that you're defending ignorance it's that you are defending avoidance maybe or something um so let's let's go a step further did you guys uh, did you guys have a chance to read the outsider i read through it yeah. you read it okay yeah. so to me that story is about growing tired of the darkness and wanting so badly to be in the light, regardless of, of what outcome might happen. Right. And when the narrator takes the chance, takes a shot to go be among the people, um, like the little mermaid, he wants to be where the people are. <laughs> um, and he, and he takes a shot and he goes, what happens? It's awful. It's awful. He's shunned immediately. Mm-hmm. Why? Cause he's a, a dead person. He's yeah. the monster. Right, right? He is the monster. But he didn't know that. Right. He just and knew he was lonely. He knew he was lonely. He knew that he was confused. One thing I really love about that story is the dreamlike quality yeah. of it. Like, it's it's like trying to describe a, a dream or a nightmare that you had, right? right like, right. it's it doesn't make any sense, but the the dream logic is kind of there. Yeah. Um. And then when he awakens from from this slumber, whatever it is, and he emerges from this, quote, castle, this tomb, (laughs) and he goes out into the world, it couldn't go worse. Right. To me, that kind of captures the anxiety of this this fear. It's not really, what is it, nyctophobia, the the fear of (laughs) Of crowds? Oh, oh, nyctophobia is the fear of the night, right? I thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I thought. I no, I, I was thinking of something else. Okay. Um, it, it's not really the fear of the darkness. It's it's the fear of that revelation that can make you mad. It's like the Lovecraftian sort of... Yeah, the potential. Yeah. So, the ending can be read a couple of different ways, I think. And one of those ways is... You know, when he touches the mirror and he realizes, oh, it's I'm that monster, right. then he or she, I think it could be gender neutral, right? Like it's sure. it's not really clear. Um, this this character then uh, goes mad, right? And and uh, or not does doesn't really go mad, but like um, he loses everything. He, lo- he loses everything, right? But you could read the very ending, uh, the the last couple paragraphs, in a way that it's sort of a weird Poe-esque happy ending, right? Maybe. Like now he's he's riding the night wind with other ghouls, right? Like he's he's going to these slamming <laughs> parties that Natakris is holding at uh, in the the catacombs of the Great Pyramid. Like he's he's living the life. Maybe. 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 Or, or is he disgusted by this? I think that that... I was quite taken with this in a way I hadn't been with some of the previous Lovecraft stuff we've done. Because okay. I think as a mo- on a modern perspective, 
like thinking about this from the angle of depression or anxiety and like some of these, I guess, more modern psychological things that we talk about, therapeutic things we talk about. I, I loved the angle of, you know, I was so comfortable down in the darkness. I read my books. I was alone, but I knew every angle of this. I knew the whole thing. Yeah. And then when I tried to reach beyond my scope, it all blew up in my face. And now I'm nothing. And I'm stuck with all these other nothing things forever. Mm-hmm. To me, that was very interesting. And I feel like it's an interest. it was an interesting pairing for me for your fear. Because I felt like when we originally kind of outlined this, when you talked about it, I was expecting much more of a, you know, you talked about the darkness and you didn't shine lights out in the darkness and things like that because you thought Lucy was out there getting ready to get you, right? Right, yeah. Uh, But then this angle of, sure, the dark is scary and the dark is cruddy, but it's it's a cruddiness I know. I I think that the darkness is, is metaphorical. Right. You know, he lives, the, the narrator of The Outsider lives in the dark, but he's accustomed to it. Right. It's the light to him, right? Right. And when he goes into the light, which is the unknown in this flipped scenario, uh, that's when the unpredictable ending happens. Yeah. So I, I think the darkness to me, you know, when I was a kid, of course, like uh, I, I slept in a room with a nightlight. Right then, I knew Lucy's not there. I can look. Lucy's not there. Right. Um, nothing is there. But this narrator of the outsider doesn't have a, a nightlight necessarily, um, and probably wishes that he had never turned the light on. Yeah. That's kind of why it's a. Like I said, I think that's kind of why it was captivating to me. Is. I don't know. Did love has have there been articles written about if Lovecraft suffered from these kinds of things? I I am sure that Bobby Derry could tell us more about okay. that. I'm not familiar enough with Lovecraft's biography. One of the sort of metatextual analyses things I read was about how it was about his loneliness, but also his hideousness that he perceived himself as kind of an ugly person. Okay, and that he was writing perhaps from that experience or okay. that idea of himself. So I, I find that I find that fascinating. I guess is what I'm saying is that I had expected a very different story of the outsider being in the dark, coming into the light and disturbing somebody's life, and then it was really the opposite. So good yeah. choice is what Thanks. I'm saying. <laughs> I mean, he does disturb a bunch of people's lives, no, right? Yeah, like- <laughs> but it, it really was a reversal of my expectations. I had I hadn't expected that this was going to be a monster escaping into the light. And then kind of figuring out it was a monster. Yeah. And then layering these psychological things on top of that, I think, makes it very rich. Makes it a very interesting take for our season. Luke, you ever feel like the outsider? Yeah, sure. (laughs) (laughs) I think we all do. Yeah. Uh, Like, this fear... I keep coming back to the idea of, like, would you want to... Would you want to know something or... Would you rather live in fear of that thing, right? Like, that's kind of what this this fear of the the unknown. It's not the darkness itself. It's whatever's on the other side. Mm-hmm. It's a very grown-up fear. Like, that is the kind of fear that, like, uh, 
keep somebody from going to the doctor when they know that they've got something that could be the cancer, right? Yeah. It's the kind of thing that keeps somebody from uh, facing the hard conversation when they know that it could keep a a marriage together or Mm -hmm. like it, this is a, this is a real concrete fear that is more than the, the basis of like what's in the dark. It's, 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 I mean, I know we're hitting on that. It's the, a standard for something that's much bigger. Yeah. That's just how I'm sort of, sort of thinking about this. I think the outsider is a great is a great story. It's one that always struck with me, like or stuck with me, like whenever I first read it, because I don't, I didn't necessarily see the twist coming. And I guess I probably read it in like oh four or oh five. Okay, uh, and it's in the like the the penguins like Call of Cthulhu, yeah, and others collection that that, that was like the first Lovecraft collection I had, and it kind of it kind of hit me. And it's a weird story because of that sort of dreamlike state that you mentioned. So, I think, I think that story has a lot going for it on the basis of how it's written and what it delves at. And I think this fear is—it's scary, man. Right. Yeah. And so, so I was pretty psyched to talk about this in a weird way. I don't want it to come across as therapy. Um, but the the outsider, I think, is the best story to to read to kind of understand the fear that I'm trying to get across. Well, I don't think we intended for this series to be a therapeutic exercise necessarily. But when we talked about fear, the best fears are those that are inside all of us, like our very personal things. We are our own greatest monster we can create the thing that scares us the most so if we could tie a story to it that was good but i think it was also fair that we talked about these deep-seated things yeah so i have a question for you guys before we we wrap up our cromtober contributions um and that is i said to ashley the other night what if our fears sort of build us into who we are more so than our hopes and dreams. Uh-huh. What do you think about that? I mean, I think that you've hit something really on the head. I, th- I think that's a very fair thing to say, that it's just as much a part of you as your aspirations and goals and hopes and loves and all the good stuff, like this dark river that runs through you, whatever it was you were afraid of, is also going to spur you to try certain things or to avoid certain things or to think about things in a certain way, uh, as we've talked about before. So, yeah, I think absolutely fears are an essential piece of your personality that you can't avoid. Yeah, sure. I mean, I think it's a large determinant of, of who I am. I mean, the, the things that I'm scared of shape my principal drives as a, as a grown-up at 37 years old maybe even in a scary way drive your goals and drive your your hopes and dreams yeah for sure yeah maybe so fear is is powerful it's a motivator but fear is also the mind killer (laughs) nice tie back thanks and so we we've faced our fears here in the witch's hut and hopefully we've come 
out on the other side somewhat cleaner. Maybe. Somewhat leaner. Somewhat meaner. Maybe the witch won this one. I don't know. Well, the witch always wins. <laughs> well, that's I, I, true. What am I talking about? She always yeah. comes back. Uh, and she always comes back. But uh, we're in this this hut that's propped on the back of a chicken leg. <laughs> and I feel like we've each been through something. And yet we live to tell the tale. I realize I'm no longer on a spaceship. I'm back with my buddies. Yeah, and I'm not in the darkness. I'm here in this brightly lit hut. And we're all just bumbling around in the, in the vast gulfs of time here together. And that's okay. Tethered, but that's okay. So, we're here together, and, and that brings another Cromtober to an end. Except there's one more episode, probably. <laughs> there because, is. Because I believe our wives are going to record. They have not yet. Uh, but they've watched some spooky movies. Another some, Cromtober special. Yeah, so look for that coming up soon. Uh, until then, you can find us on the web at thecromcast.blogspot.com. We're on Twitter at thecromcast. We're also on Facebook. That's facebook.com slash thecromcast. You can email us where thecromcast at gmail.com. And you can call us and tell us your deepest, darkest fears. Get that, get that stuff off your chest. That's 859-429-CROM. And it won't be long before we're out of this hut and back in our still suits <laughs> in the brightly lit desert heat of Arrakis. That's what we should, we should have had the Fremen save us from the witch. Oh, that would have been good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been good. All right. Happy Cromtober. We'll see you guys on the flip side. It will never die. No. It will never die. No. It will never die. It can only grow more. I've never felt so alone With the stars pressing down from above It's a feeling of terror But there's also beauty in that I can shout, cry out It sounds small There's nothing out there at all The echo Disappears in the deep I'm out like a light Swallowed up in the night The dreams were dark The landscape is stark The hills flash red from the fire For the occasional passing car It flickers and things The brush rustles in the wind, I can shout, cry out, but the sun, the horizon, the flames licking at the sky and the dark.
die. No, they will never die. They can only grow.